Welcome to yet another episode of Digitalization Tech Talks, where we're talking about topics that are related to digital technologies in the process industries. So today we have another great episode lined up for you, one that will make you realize how important it is to have a strong reference architecture. Now, this architecture should ultimately serve as, I want to call it like the backbone for your transfer of data between the equipment that you have installed in your facility that produces data and the system that will then be used to analyze it. Solutions are introduced as standalone services in this day and age, especially of digital technologies. So being able to create a foundational structure that ties it all together is becoming more and more important, but also challenging. So how else are you going to create tangible value across your company? Against common belief, perhaps the solution is not one large network system, but perhaps there is something else, which I'm obviously not going to talk to because I don't want to steal the thunder of our speaker. Instead, I'd like to introduce my co-host and colleague, Don Mack. And how are you doing today, Don? Hey, guys, I'm doing great. Looking forward to another episode. Uh, in fact, if I were doing any better, I'd be twins. And in the case of the Tech Talks podcast, it would probably be digital twins. Uh, on the podcast, we've covered a, a bunch of different digitalization topics and use cases but having a way for them to work together cohesively is just about as important as having a method to address each individual use case. And since we'll be learning about how this can be accomplished, I'm eagerly looking forward to today's conversation. Yes, me too, Don. So with that, I want to introduce our guest who is not new to this podcast. His name is Alex Falskraf, and he's been on the podcast before talking about how frameworks can be applied to digital transformation efforts, to make them more strategic, but also highly operational. Now, this was back in episode 19, so go back and listen to that if you'd like to know more about that. I am pretty sure Alex is going to be touching on that as well, most likely. Um, we'll see how that goes. Alex is a digital transformation consultant here with Siemens, and in that role, he's spearheaded and been involved in numerous consulting projects focused on helping companies kickstart their digital transformation journey. So welcome to the show, Alex. It's really a great joy to have you on here. Hey, Jonas. Thanks for having me again. It's a pleasure to be here once again. I'm excited uh, to talk to you folks out there. And uh, yeah, pretty much excited about this episode. So let's jump right into it with the first question, Alex. I think it makes sense to start with a short description or maybe an explanation of what is meant by reference architecture. Could you please describe what that is and what it means to our listeners? Sure, Jonas. So when we talk about reference architecture, we typically are talking about an IT and OT architecture in an industrial plant. And then that uh, by its name encompasses two parts, at least. It's about IT, which is short for information technology. So we're talking about industrial systems like enterprise resource planning, ERPs, manufacturing execution systems, MES, laboratory information management systems, LIMS, and so on. And on the other hand, it's about OT, which is short for operational technology, where we talk about distributed control system, DCS, supervisory control and data acquisition, SCADA, human machine interface, HMI, programmable logic controllers, PLCs, and also the sensors and actuators on the field level. So this reference architecture basically includes both hardware and software. And nowadays, it also incorporates things like Internet of Things or the industrial Internet of Things. 
Well, thanks, Alex. For uh, there were a lot of acronyms in there, so I appreciate you spelling them all out. That'll make it uh, clear for our audience. But let's move on to the next question. How did this subject of reference architectures evolve? Uh, you mentioned MES, manufacturing execution systems, and I and I remember ISA ninety five. Does that fit in somewhere? Yeah, I mean, talking about ISA ninety five, uh, this is the most common referred to architecture. Um, it's also called the automation permit. Some of our listeners might know it via this name. And it actually is a model which is talking about the integration of enterprise systems with control systems. And if you think of it, uh, and I'm pretty sure most of you or even everybody of you has seen this picture, it's five levels ranging from zero to four. Level zero at the bottom is about the production process where the sensors and signals are. Then data typically goes up to the first level, sensing and manipulating where all the PLCs, for example, are located. Then level two is about monitoring and supervising. We talk about SCADA, HMI, or DCS systems. Then it goes a little bit higher into management levels. Level three is about manufacturing operations management, MOM. So we typically find MES systems here. And the highest layer, level four, is actually about business planning and logistics. We find the before mentioned systems like enterprise resource planning, ERP, there. We also have a link to that, so you can review it in the show notes. It's about the ISA 95 model in its most current version from 2010, uh, where you can read a lot about it. Now, this is the, I refer to it as the old school model. Uh, not uh, literally mentioned old school because we still find it in a lot of plants, but this is still the predominant model nowadays. But if we talk about all the buzzwords out now, uh, actually mentioning a lot of new technology, we talk about a lot of other things nowadays. We talk about ITOT integration or convergence. That actually means how can we make IT and OT systems speak to each other so that they can easily share needed data between themselves. We also talk about IoT or IIoT, Industrial Internet of Things. We make everything talk to each other, every sensor, every component, every software. Then, of course, nowadays it's about cloud systems. Cloud systems have some benefits. For example, typically more computing power than you have available locally. They're much more flexible because you typically can have them as a service so you can subscribe to them. Uh, There's no upfront investment needed for you on site and also less maintenance because this is typically done uh, by the provider. We also talk about things like from the IT world, from the pure IT world, talking about microservices. We talk about reusable and small software components, which are just reused wherever it fits and they are relatively easy to maintain in such a case. Also, when talking about exchanging data, we talk a lot about APIs, application programming interfaces. Systems have them readily available nowadays so they can exchange data with other systems. In this case, we talk about REST APIs, we talk about serverless systems, etc. And of course, then there's the phenomenon of the apps. You all have a smartphone, I guess, at least most of you. And we are just so used to using those apps for very specific cases. And we also see apps coming more and more into the industrial arena. And I was mentioning as a service before. Now, 
as a service typically has three parts to it. First, there's software as a service, which is of course talking about software, which typically is licensed via subscription models, and you can use it on demand. Then we have infrastructure as a service, which is basically about cloud hosting, and we have the topic of platform as a service. And platforms typically are there to develop, maintain, run, and manage applications in the cloud. If you want to learn more about all these as a service components, there's a good recent link of IBM, which is called infrastructure as a service versus platform as a service versus software as a service. And it's, it's, it's explaining these and all the differences between the three elements and even much more. Uh, and you can find the link in the show notes. Now, I've been talking about cloud earlier. Nowadays, we also talk about edge. So if you need a little bit of computing power locally, you have typically some devices like, like switches uh, or even some sensors, which can do some pre-computations before actually sending data to the cloud. And then one recent phenomenon in this area is the unified namespace UNS, which actually functions as a central location as the one source of data for plant-wide assets. If you want to learn more about that, there's a good link by Automation World called Unified Namespace, the hub and spoke model for your data. You also find that one in the show notes later on. So a lot of these topics actually come from the pure IT world and find more and more adoption also on the automation side nowadays. So many options to choose from, so many things to learn, so many things that could potentially be done and be used. Uh, sometimes I'm even getting a little bit overwhelmed from all those different choices, whether that's the services or technologies. But thank you for the overview, Alex. I think that's very helpful. I, I want to cover a little bit about how to implement some of these things, especially mid-sized or maybe even smaller companies. How do they find out what's right for them um, to start on that unified architecture journey, if you will? That's a good question, Jonas. Uh, thank you. And of course, I was talking about a lot of options and you can feel overwhelmed. That's just normal, I guess. It happens to me as well because there are new technologies coming out almost every day. Now, the first advice I would give is do something because getting stuck in the current status doesn't help you either. And it even makes it worse over time in most of the cases. Because when you think of all these old systems not talking to each other, it doesn't get better over time, right? And the second advice typically is, um, if you don't know where to start, if you don't know which technologies are the right ones for you, if you don't really know what makes sense for you, what use cases you could possibly do, then it's probably the case that you don't have the expertise for all these questions in-house. Then just try to get a partner on board. Uh, there are plenty of companies out there which can help you in IT and OT world, and sometimes even in both. And in such a scenario, it's vital to get a good partner on board, which can help you move along into your digital transformation journey. And that actually ties into uh, the third advice I would give here, work on a roadmap, because you want to know where to invest in, what technologies to invest, when, to actually do these projects, what are all the interdependencies and so on. And if you want to listen back to episode 19, where we've been talking about digital transformation, getting it right on the first try, this is a good uh, reminder to listen to that episode again to see how you can actually do this. 
Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to get a plan together up front and uh, bring in some experience if you don't have it yourselves. So, so some good pointers there. So once companies do get started, Alex, what are some of the challenges that they may encounter when working on a modern architecture? Yeah, there are typically um, some challenges which are common to, to a lot of companies. Uh, when we talk about IT and OT, they are typically residing still in separate departments. And that is historically driven. It, I mean, it's been like this for, for decades. And when you also have a look at the governance functions, they are also separate. That, that actually results in a couple of things which uh, have been highlighted recently in a good article from McKinsey, uh, which is called Converge IT and OT to Turbocharge Business Operations Scaling Power. You find that one in the links too. And it gives a couple of points uh, which arise out of that situation. So we often talk about the pilot trap or the pilot purgatory. Often it is the case when you find out about the new technology, a lot of people get excited. And of course you want to do a pilot because you want to see how it is moving along. Now, these pilots typically, they get handed to some people as a side project. And that actually results in managing them poorly. They don't yield the benefits you would expect in the beginning. And that of course is not a good thing and you don't pursue this technology further. Now, when I was talking about IT and OT uh, departments, which are typically still separated today, of course, they are not aligned with each other and they often still have disparate targets. That means not only the targets are different, also the KPIs are different. They often talk on the IT side about costs, whereas on the automation side, we often talk about real reliability. Of course, you have to try to bring those two together, right? And then typically it's a complex exercise. We don't have to oversimplify this here. It's a typical complex exercise to change from what you have now because you have an architecture which has been uh, moving along in the last years and decades, right? It has been evolving over time. Now changing this to a modern architecture, it's typically a complex thing. And then of course, thinking about connecting all the systems with each other. Nowadays, we need to talk about cybersecurity. There will be no discussion on a modern architecture without touching the topic of cybersecurity. You can think of all the attacks resulting in data breaches where pirates, maybe, yeah, they have been stealing sensitive data from you. Um, and of course, they, they often want to have money from you, so they give you the data back. That's the one thing, but of course, it's also about the reputation. And um, you have to make sure that the recommended architecture in the end is cyber secure. If you want to have more information about that, going back to episode 13, which was all about how you can protect your process plan from cyber attacks, is a good thing to listen to again to find out about how to do this. Yeah, definitely. That was a really good episode that talked about cybersecurity in general and how you could prevent those cyber attacks. So, so thanks for referencing that, Alex. I do want to go back to talking about this um, this revamping of the architecture, if you will, because if it is as complex as it sounds and perhaps also expensive, at least something that requires significant investment, why is it that you want to, you would want to move ahead with modernizing your architecture at all? I'm I'm just wondering if it's really worth it. Is it really worth it? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question, Jonas. I would say yes, but uh, let me explain a little bit more on that. So. I would see two uh, 
directions, directions of thinking here. First one is uh, think about the future. Whenever you have a future-proof architecture, you will have a lot of benefits. And I'm just going to highlight a couple of them because this list could go on forever. Now, first one uh, out of my mind is coming data analytics possibilities. If you have the connections everywhere, if you have data readily available, you also have the possibilities to analyze all this data. And of course, this data then will be used to optimize your processes. So you will have a much, much easier stake in analyzing your data to optimize your operations. Also, when you have modern systems which are flexible, you will save money because you will need less money for systems maintenance. That's just true. If you still need to maintain old systems, sometimes it's not even possible anymore, but it will for sure be much, much more expensive than doing this with a modern future-proof architecture. I was already mentioning flexibility. If you have a flexible uh, reference architecture, you will be able to expand into new areas. And some of those you will have never thought of before. Now, this is also going back to the topic of data analytics. And then there's another important topic out of my mind is reporting. Reporting will become much, much easier because when you have all this data available, uh, you don't need to crawl for it manually. And I guess a lot of you listeners will know what I mean. Uh, putting this data all together manually is really a long and uh, enduring task, and you don't want to have that. So just imagine reporting for the topics of sustainability, quality purpose, or even regulatory things will be there just by the click of a button. That's the future, and that will save you a lot of time and therefore money. Now. Going a little bit further, even what you can do with all this data is talking about decision making. Now, if you have data readily available, you will be able to make your decisions based on that data and not just gut feeling. And remember, this gut feeling may reside in operators and they might be leaving. What do you do then? Now, relying on data is always the better option. And then, of course, think about your maintenance strategy for your plant. Now, you can, re, uh, you can evolve from reactive maintenance, which you might be doing right now, to actually predictive maintenance. So that will also give you a lot of benefits. And if I can just jump in here, Alex, because I, I think you're giving some really good examples, uh, and a lot of them are referring to how to use data to make informed decisions. And we do have a really good episode on that back to episode 16. So I can just recommend our listeners to go back and listen to that if you want to know a little bit more about how to use data to make informed decisions. Thank you for that, Johannes. Um, now going ahead with uh, answering the questions, I can even think about uh, a couple of other use cases. You can think about remote operations or support not having too much staff on site anymore. You can do that uh, remotely as well. We can talk about digital worker use cases uh, by, by using digital technology uh, for, for maybe the maintenance staff in the factory who has all the needed information on their whatever iPad or whatever it is, uh, or even augmented by, by some glasses um, they are using. Uh, we talk about digital twins, and, and um, yeah, Don was talking earlier about his digital twin, right? So we can talk about having simulation models for your 
for your production process, for example, to really find out how to tweak it to get the most out of it. Um, and then the more customer facing things would be to think of a digital platform for your end customers uh, where they could probably configure uh, their product. Uh, and then, of course, this also yields into uh, thinking about new business models, right? Thinking about how to do business with your customers in a different way. Now, that was all the, the opportunities I could think of for the future. If you look back at your old systems, of course, you have some risks there too. Uh, obsolescence is, of course, one, right? Because many of the systems probably are really old. And that also means that you don't have any security updates or patches anymore. And as we now know, cybersecurity is a really important topic. And you might be at high risk uh, while continuing with your old systems in place. Um, Another very important point uh, is actually the knowledge uh, for these old systems. Now, you already know that workforce is, is declining. Uh, many jobs are still open and, and you can't just fill them. Um, now, what happens if, if your operators are moving on to, to another job? Yeah, The knowledge for these old systems, that, that will just disappear and you will not be able to replace it. And in general, you can say the older your old systems get, the more complex, the more risky, and the more costly it becomes to upgrade them. So Alex, for a company wanting to move to a more modern architecture and looking at this from a, a ROI standpoint, would this be a typical type of ROI analysis where they're weighing the transformation costs against the expected benefits they hope to achieve? Yeah, absolutely. The return on investment is, a vital tool to use in, in this discussion. Generally, you can say the longer you wait, the higher the costs will be. And it also matters if you don't move now, you might be overtaken by competitors. Now, that's also certainly one thing you don't want. And it's not that the ROI for such an exercise is about decades. We are typically in the range of maybe up to three or four years and often way below that. So it's not that you have to wait for the money to come back for, for years and even longer. And also, it's not that we've not been doing this for years. We've do, been doing this for many companies. We've helped a lot of customers uh, to really work on their reference architecture. We just recently helped the glass company do exactly this and, and have been designing their future-proof systems landscape for them. And this has been a real success story. They are currently in the process of rolling this out to their 33 plants worldwide. So this is absolutely manageable. Well, that's great to know that that's actually happening. I guess this is really a, the sooner the better type of situation. Where do you think we're headed on this topic in the future? And, and what can companies in the process industries expect from their suppliers? I think there, are, there need to be some guiding principles for the future in, in regards to this reference architecture. We talk about uh, a couple of points. First one in my mind is interoperability. You need to make sure that everything can talk to everything, right? Because this is what, what matters most, the exchanging data in, in this reference architecture. To be able to do this, the topic of openness uh, is a very important one. Use open protocols, use APIs, uh, et cetera, and don't store your data and nobody can read it. We've already been talking about cybersecurity. Um, make sure you implement security by design. You have a rigorous and tested approach. And of course, at some point, your, your systems should be proven in use with a real track record behind. 
Then, of course, nowadays it's very important uh, to have flexible systems. So being able to adapt to new situations or even to new targets uh, is vital nowadays. And then as a service, we've been talking about this earlier already, uh, make sure all your offerings and, and systems are, uh, are subscription-based so it fits into the modern architecture. Talking about future scenarios, I think that we will not see this automation permit anymore. We've been talking about the ISA 95 model in the beginning, but we in the future will more talk about the loosely connected network of systems and services. And then I hope that in, in most companies we will see in the future that IT and OT are not separated anymore, but they are integrated, working closely together and even pursuing the same targets. So I really like the topics that you've mentioned here and actually throughout the, the entire podcast of this episode. I feel like there's there's definitely a relation to future developments and somehow the cutting edge nature of technology that makes it possible for a lot of companies to do more with less. And that is actually one of the key areas we'll be covering in the next episode of our podcast. So make sure you tune in for that uh, once that comes out. I want to thank you, Alex, very much for sharing all your insights and your experience with reference architecture as it relates to digital transformation. I really enjoyed having you on as a guest on the podcast. Before we close, as usual, I just want to make sure to give you an opportunity to provide some final thoughts or this like one thing that you would like our listeners to go away with. Yeah, thank you, Jonas. The one thing uh, I would like our listeners to take away from this episode maybe is don't be afraid to start. Uh, we can give you plenty of examples of companies who have already been doing this successfully. And as it may seem to be a complex task, it's absolutely manageable. So if you need some help, uh, reach out to us. You can reach out to Don, to Jonas, or to myself. We will be looking to help you. That's a good final comment, Alex. And yes, we will be including all the email addresses in the show notes. So just go have a look at those and feel free to reach out to us, as Alex said. And if you have any general feedback, maybe some ideas about some content that we should be covering, please feel free to get those emails out and send them to us as well. If you liked what you heard today, please help spread the word by rating the show. And if you're not already a subscriber and would like to be notified when a new episode comes out, please subscribe to the series. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Digitalization Tech Talks.